0: Um, we're continuing our, our series. Uh, this is part six um, in our series on, on parables. Um, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about, about these parables because they were such an integral part of, of Jesus' ministry and, and His teaching. Um, and there's so much that, that he has to tell us in these parables. This week we're going to be looking at um, a very popular one. This may be the most uh, kid, most commonly, if, you've, if you were grew up in Sunday school, you definitely know this story. If you visited Sunday school once or twice, you probably know this story, right? It's the parable of the, the two houses, right we we know this story um, and uh, but there but there is a lot more you know it is it is so important and vital that we we create as early as we can in our lives and our children's lives a foundation of scripture and and understanding that, that the, the, the Bible teaches and we see um, that bear out in, in reality and in research and in every every avenue that, that you want to, to look at that says that that is one of the most impactful things that you can do for for a child um, is to train them up early. Um, I, I believe in that. That's, that's why we, we put so much effort and emphasis on, on children's ministry and youth ministry here. Um, but one of the things... We have to combat um, when when that happens. Is the the tendency or, or one of the the things that that the ploys of the enemy was you know there's that that saying that familiarity breeds contempt. It's real easy for for those Sunday school stories to kind of almost lose in our mind. Not that they're not any less true, but they're less impactful. Um, but I hope you start. You've seen if you've been with us these last number of weeks that that there is always, uh, you know, Scripture is so amazing. God is so amazing in the gift that He gave us in His Word that there is always another layer to be explored. It's not new truth, but it's a new revelation of truth, right? And we're going to see that a little bit today in in this in this parable. Um, just some context to start with. This story is told twice um kind of two different versions of the story in in two different uh gospels and both times it comes a kind of kind of the same situation it, it is the conclusion it is the the wrap up to two separate um but the largest two sermons that Jesus ever ever taught the sermon on the mount and the sermon on the plains these are these are kind of the two cornerstone biggest recorded things we have of Jesus actual teaching and this this parable comes at the end of a version of this parable comes at the end of each of those um, it's important to notice that this ser- both of those sermons the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the plain and this is this is a, a good just reference note. Um, for you moving forward if you if you're reading those or hearing about those teachings on those the the primary audience for those sermons was the disciples. There were giant crowds around for sure and they were partaking but Jesus was primarily addressing those that were already followers of Jesus this this parable this sermon that he is teaching is not, uh, teaching on how to become one of his followers, he is teaching on how we live within his kingdom. All right, salvation, and I just we need to kind of lay this groundwork. Uh, before we get into to, to the message today, because it's, it's essential that we understand that salvation is a free gift that we can't afford. There is nothing, and, and we know this, there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. The sermons that Jesus is teaching here is not about how to become saved, how to do the things you need to do to make God happy with you. Um, we have to think of it in a different way. These think these, these sermons, um, and, and with it, this parable, think boot camp, not enlistment. Okay. When you, when you join the military, you enlist in the military, you are a part of the military and then you go to boot camp to learn how to live in the military, right? The commitment is separate from the training, um you could also think of it think of it like uh in, in probably in most of our a little more familiar is, is employment. You get hired, you apply for a job, you get the job, and then you go to orientation, right? And you find out exactly what you actually just got hired to do. And they you typically there's some additional training. They explain the culture of that, that job, the, the company, where, it, where it's going, what it does, how you fit in, what your responsibilities are going to be, your benefits package. All that stuff comes in orientation after you've been hired. The sermons that we are looking at, we're going to look at a little bit today, and, and, and this parable would fall into that category. Um, so I just wanted to preface our, 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 our text for today by, we've got to put it in the right order of things in the right context, so I, I trust you understand what I'm trying to say. Um, two other things about this parable, and then we're going to dive into it. The, um, and the first one is, uh, our parable today is the wrap-up of a message we just talked about. So to understand it, we have to look back into that sermon, into that message, to understand what the parable is talking about you know you, you ever like no one here has ever done this but you ever like come to church so late it's like the 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 ministry time at the end of the message <laughs> and you walk in and it, it's good you're like oh man you can sense the presence of the lord you're like man this is good oh yes lord i have no idea what's going on but this is great that's kind of kind of uh it's kind of what the parable is like if we just if we just take it in a bubble it's good but we're going to misunderstand we're not going to fully understand what's going on so we're going to we're going to take a few few moments um and 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 for a large part of our time we're going to kind of look back into the sermon to understand what it is that Jesus is wrapping up the second thing is that it Unlike almost all the, all the parables we've looked at so far, one of the things we've talked about week in and week out is uh, a key to a parable is looking for the left turn, right? The unexpected, the surprising. And that's a key to unlocking kind of what Jesus is saying in the parable. This parable has no left turn. It is a, it is a straight shot down the middle. Um, there's some things that we'll look at that help us increase our understanding, but the reason we need those things explained is simply just because we don't live in that time, not because it would have been unexpected to the people that Jesus was talking to. Why is this important? I think it, it speaks to how important the message of the parable is. Jesus is not trying to, to, you know, some, one of the purposes of parables was to kind of disclose or, or hide, um, Some of the, the truths that, that Jesus was saying because his enemies were around or, or or whatever. But in this one, he, Jesus is being very clear. This is a, a crystal clear picture of what Jesus is trying to tell us. And so we're gonna, we're gonna look at that. We find our parable. Um, it's in, it's in two different places, as I mentioned. We're going to be focusing on the account in Matthew. It's Matthew chapter seven. Um, but before we, we read our passage for today, I just want to invite the Lord's presence into our time this morning. So if you would just uh, join me in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come and, and, and sit in your presence. God, we've heard your invitation. To spend time with you this morning and we, we don't take it lightly, we say thank you. God I ask that that your spirit would just rest on us and and during this time, that, that you would speak through me, through your word, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would find good soil there to receive what it is you have for each one of us, God. I pray that you would give us specific revelation of, of how your truth needs to penetrate and transform and change each one of our lives this morning. Amen. Amen. Alright, so Matthew 7. We're just going to kind of read the, the the parable and then we'll jump into it. Matthew 7, starting verse... Twenty-four says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. That the rains come and it, and torrents and the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because the house is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when it when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law so here 's our as I said parable two houses we 've all we 've all heard this before um, first thing we have to notice if we 're going to kind of pull this apart is the emphasis the emphasis here is on Action. How does He start? He starts this whole parable. He says, anyone who listens and follows it. This is the the defining difference that Jesus is kind of comparing and contrasting. And both houses are built on, in the example, are built on people who heard and listened to the teachings of Jesus. The difference was those who follow it. Those who implemented it into their life and those who did not. And so this, this message, this parable is all about action. It's all about, and so t- today that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be examining the actions in our lives through the lens of this, uh, of this sermon that Jesus taught us thousands of years ago. And for this story, like I said, there's no left turns in this story, but there is one, I think, really key contextual point that, that I, I want to highlight to help kind of bring the picture that Jesus was painting for, for the disciples in, into focus for us. The story is about a house being built on, on sand. And when we tend to hear this, especially kind of in a a lot of times in our view of, of the, the Middle East, we hear sand, we think Middle East, and we picture what? Sand dunes, right? And beaches, that sand. That's actually not the, the picture that they would have, they would have gotten, um, when Jesus was teaching them, it says sand. Probably a better um, word for for us to to kind of be accurate would be clay. Okay, the 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 area in Israel um, where houses were built, and which is everywhere, uh, was built the 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 soil there. It wasn't loose sand. That wasn't typically where what you would find. You would find super hard clay, and this clay was. See, and there's an important difference there because if, if when we picture sand, when we picture, at least for me, when I picture the loose sand, the parable, it seems like extremely obvious, right? Like, okay, yes, don't go to the beach and try and build a house on that loose sand. Of course, it's going to fall over. That's, that seems quite obvious. But, but in the picture, in the context that, that, that the story was told, it would have, it wasn't such a clear delineation see the sand the clay and the rock acted very similar you could build a house on the on just on the the clay in that area you could build a house and it would it would stand it would feel solid and in fact to dig through clay was was backbreaking arduous work they didn't have augers and you know bulldozers and all that forklifts and all that stuff it was hard work because it was so packed and and so um so strong that you could build a house and it would stand for days weeks months years maybe decades but if a flood ever did come when a flood would come that hard uh, that hard soil would immediately turn to mud, and then you have a catastrophic collapse of, of the house. So imagine you're you're a 19 year old in Israel, 19 year old Jew. You're building your first house, right? And back then you didn't, you know, there was no MI homes. You didn't, you know, you didn't call Dominion and or whoever Romeo and Hughes and. Meet with a contractor. No, if you wanted a house, you built a house. Like uh, You literally built your own house. So picture this 19-year-old, and you find this plot of land, and you're super excited, and you want to start building this house. and, And in your lifetime, this area has never seen a flood. Never seen a flood. It's been bone dry this entire time. It would be tempting to skip the brack-breaking work of digging through all that clay to avoid a threat that you've never seen in real life. Something you've never, you've never experienced. You've never, with your experience, you've never seen that as a real um, something that you need to avoid. And when you compare that with the amount of extra work it's going to take to dig out a footing, and dig down to, to the, the bedrock that's underneath all that clay, it would be tempting to skip that step. So the picture Jesus paints here is much more closer to home than than maybe our initial uh, reading of this Scripture. He's not comparing an obvious dumb idea to doing something smart. He's comparing two things that that one thing that's a shortcut but looks really good. You could build a house on clay and it would stand for a long time. But there are some things that just have to work every time, right? There, I many you know there are some things in life that, that don't, there are some things in life that 90% will get you, will get you where you want to go. Will, will, is highly successful. You know, if you're a weatherman and you're right 90% of the time, I'm going to follow you, right? Because. It's the only job in the world you can just guess.' no, one's, no one ever holds you accountable. Um, sports watch the Buckeyes play this this, uh, this last weekend and it was it was good but most sports football you know your quarterback if, if they can complete 90% of your passes, you are you're the goat like you are the greatest of all time 90% of your passes baseball if you if you hit the ball if you get on base 90% of the time, they are renaming the Hall of Fame after you. Right? There are a lot of things in life that 90% is amazing, is better than anything we've ever seen. But there are some things in our life that 90%, while it sounds good, is not nearly good enough. Car engines. If your car starts 90% of the time, it's time to get a new car. Right? <laughs> If, if every other week you go out and your car don't start, we're not walking around going, well, I guess it's just, well, it was due for a non-starting day, I guess. Uh, try it again tomorrow. No, we're going, okay, this thing is done. This is toast. I need to get a new vehicle. This is not reliable. Right? Planes. If the reliability of planes was 90%, if 90% of the time they made it to where they need to go, how many know there would be no airline industry? Nobody's getting on a plane. (laughs) Right? Our lives are one of those things where 90% isn't going to cut it. You only get one of them. Your life is too important to build it on something that is that is going to hold up 90% of the time. You've got to build it right. And if you're listening today, maybe you you may be thinking and looking at your life um, and and thinking that that maybe well this this would have been good information twenty years ago, uh, Jeremy. I I have not been building on this foundation, or or I have a mess going on. This is this is something I can't. I, I could have used this information, but now it's too late. I have good news for you. It's never too late to dig a foundation. It's never too late. This is one place that that this parable, this story, kind of loses You know, they're just stories to help us understand. You can't extrapolate them to every possible truth. This is one place our metaphor can't reach. You know, in the real world, you big a house, you build a house. The foundation you built is the one you gotta live with. That's not true with our lives when we're talking about spirituality. It's never too late to big, dig a proper foundation. You know, it may actually be helpful to think of this process as a daily one. Every day we build a house. And every day that house needs to have a proper foundation. So you may have, for the last large chunk of your life, maybe never built, that, built your house on that foundation. Tomorrow's a new day. And you can start building houses properly. In fact, the reality is we are never done digging to our foundations. These are we're talking about behaviors. These are not behaviors that ever go away. It doesn't matter how mature you become, how long you've been walking with Jesus, how many you know Bible studies you've been to, any of that stuff. It's a lot like um like reading and math, right? We 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 have, when we're in elementary school, we learn to read and we learn how to add. But those two skills, we never stop doing them, right? You, every day you have to read something and every day you probably have to add something. Now eventually we get to a point where it's not, it, we've mastered those skills. They're so ingrained in us. We don't even really think about the fact that we're doing them, but we do them every day. And so, what we're talking about today, what what this parable is talking about, what this sermon that we're going to look at is, is kind of teaching us is those foundational behaviors in the kingdom of heaven that we need to make a part of every day of our life. And it doesn't matter. It's never too late to dig proper foundations. And there's even more good news. Not only is it never the wrong time, it's never the wrong place. It's never the wrong place to dig a foundation. Um, the location of your house didn't matter so much in the, in, in the New Testament. Everywhere there was clay in that area, and everywhere below the clay somewhere, there was bedrock. You could build a house just about everywhere. And the same is, I think, true for us. Now, some places you had to dig deeper to hit bedrock, but it was always there. Some places flooded more than others. But all places got hit eventually. And that's where the danger of the clay comes in. Because you may be 19 and never seen a flood, but there's a 25-year rain cycle. (laughs) It's coming. It doesn't matter where your life is. If you dig a, a proper foundation, you can build a house that will stand on it. You know, it's so easy to to sometimes to look around at other people's lives and and we can kind of like excuse ourselves and go, well, if I had that situation, I could, I would, my house would be more sturdy. But the reality is we all have the ability through Christ to have a firm foundation, to build a solid house. If we'll Start looking to Him instead of looking around to others and compare and trying to build our house like them. Just because they had to dig down six inches and hit bedrock doesn't mean you stop at six inches. Sometimes in some parts of our house, it's going to take a foot or two feet of extra digging to get down to that foundation. But it's worth it. But the key to building on the right foundation, you know, we, so we've established we've got to dig down to this, this foundation, right? We've got to dig through this clay to get down to the bedrock. Metaphorically, that makes sense, but here's the, here's the key to success in this. We have to be able to identify the difference between the clay and the bedrock, right? We've got to know what we're looking for. We've got to know what, what we're digging to. We've got to be able to see it when, it, when we hit it know it's there. And that's where the sermon, this message that Jesus taught come in comes in. It shows us what are the foundational behaviors that we need to build our life on. In our text, Jesus has just finished laying them out. Um, and we don't have a month of Sundays to go through all of the sermon. You know, it's, it's the Sermon on the Mount. There's, it's so dense, and we could—I mean, literally, we could we could teach just this the, this sermon that Jesus taught for the next year if we wanted to. Um, and we're not going to try and do that today, uh, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but what I want to do is look at a few recurring themes from this. And it was this was one of those kind of like. As I was studying for this, I got super excited because I like stumbled on something that I, I mean, I really just kind of just almost like discovered it. Now I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the first person. This is probably like, if you just went and looked up like, the theme of of this sermon. It's probably all nice nice laid out by a bunch of really smart scholars that I hadn't read that and so I, that's as I was always studying the, the the message itself, I got really excited because I noticed there's a there's this really clear pattern in the sermon. The sermon takes up Sermon on Amounts three chapters, right? It's chapter five, six, and seven. And in each of those chapters, three behaviors basically pop out. Now there are different applications of the behaviors, but we see them recur three behaviors in three successive chapters. So he repeats it three times. Jesus chooses these three behaviors to repeat three times. And uh, in in Jewish writing of that time, this is the equivalent of a highlighter with an underline and a little smiley face next to it right it, that's the way they they didn't use punctuation um back then the way they would they would emphasize things was with length and repetition so the longer somebody talks about something or the more often they bring it up the more important it is and so we have these three behaviors that show up three at least three times you can make arguments even more than that for some of them throughout this message that the sermon on the mountain so um we're gonna, I'm just gonna give you those three today, um, just to sh- kind of sh- share with you where we're going. We're gonna look at those three, those three behaviors. Um, and for each one, I wanna give you a, a diagnostic question. This message is not about me giving you answers. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's it's the goal of this or i feel, really felt like the lord was impressing me to to ask questions to get us to start thinking about and examining our own lives in light of these behaviors okay so i'm going to ask some questions some things we can ask ourselves and allow the holy spirit to speak to each one of us about what we need to do with this information what we need to do moving forward examine our own foundations because we're all in different places Right? And I don't, I don't, I can't claim to, I don't want to be the one, I can't be the one to make that evaluation for you. That's, that's between you and Jesus. Um, so we're gonna, today's a, more about asking good questions than me giving you, you answers. So I hope you're ready to, to, to think. I know sometimes it's, you know, when we get in this sort of lecture dynamic, it's easy to just kind of like, okay, bring it on, you know, but. Mm, Encourage you, no, stop. Just get ready to think about. Turn your thinker back on, because we're gonna need that. Um and then finally, for each section, for each behavior, I want to give us a um, I'm calling it a a sand version of that behavior or that theme. It's now this is not present in the text. This is not something that that Jesus told us to watch out for. I want to make that clear. These are just my own in in studying and praying and thinking in my own experience these were some things that came up in my in my heart and my mind that i think we need to watch out for because they are things that we can confuse the bedrock for that's why i'm calling them clay they're things that that we maybe are 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 building on thinking it's it's foundation because it looks sort of like it but it's not now these these sand versions are not necessarily bad things. Matter of fact, some of them are really, really important, really, really good. God Himself puts puts a high priority on them, but they're still not the foundation. Okay, there's there's a a, a, different, you know, a, a wall is very important. If you want to have a house, you gotta have walls, right? But the, but you can't confuse a wall with a foundation. If you try and build your house on a wall, you're going to be in trouble, right? And so we're going to look at at some of those things. Okay, so um, I'll just we're just going to jump right into it. These these are three bedrock practices that we find within the Sermon on the Mount, and none of this is going to be revelatory in the fact that. Um, you know, this is brand new information. I never heard this before. That's not, not what we're going for here. We're going for uh, self-evaluation. Alright? So the first, the first bedrock uh, kind of behavior that we see that Jesus is telling us over and over in, in this message is uh, one of personal prayer and devotion. Personal prayer and devotion. The regular, consistent practice of praying... And taking in of God's word on your own. Personal prayer and devotion. Where do we see this? We see in chapter five, we see this in the section about the Beatitudes. In chapter six, we see this. There's a whole section on where Jesus is teaching on prayer and fasting. And the whole section is is under this context of, um, or this assu- kind of assumptive language, where he's saying when you pray and when you fast, not if. And then in chapter seven, there's there's another section on effective prayer. We have to have personal, devotional, and prayer lives. That's just that's just you and God. Um, so, I want you to if, do me a favor. Uh, if, if you take notes, great. If, if you have a phone and you don't typically notes, great. Take that out. I, I want you, would you do, we're going to kind of um, do a little, some thought exercises as we go through for some of these questions. And so, I have a, question, a couple of questions for you, but I want you to actually write an answer to yourself. Don't worry, this isn't for a grade. No one's turning these in. You're the only one that's going to see this. But here's, here's, here's the question, or the first question. Um, when we talk about personal prayer and personal devotion, what do you do? What is your plan? I'm just going to give you a minute to, to write that down. What, what is your plan for doing that? What did you do the last, this last week? This last month? What's your routine? I'll just give you a second to write down. Then the second question you can add on to that is, and approximate how much time are you giving this? You can do it per day, per per week... What do you do and how much time do you give it? Now, I'm not here to put a standard out there for you. Like, you need to be spending X number of hours or minutes or days doing these things. The reason I had you write it down was, you know, as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit in us. He wants to communicate with us. I believe you can write that down if you're honest and look at that and ask God if that's where He wants you to be and you will know what the answer is. Sometimes, just the fact that I, there, I'm sure there are some that just the act of writing it down, you automatically started to feel embarrassed because you didn't, ha- you didn't know what to write. We say that's okay, listen, this is not about feeling guilty. This is about this is an opportunity for God. He's trying to get your attention. He's just like our worship this morning was all about God inviting us in. That's what this kind that's what this moment is. It's God giving us an opportunity to say, hey, this is a super important thing. And here's the good news. If if, if you, if you, in that, in this moment, you're kind of feeling dejected or, or, or guilty or, you know, feeling bad because you know that, that your, your private prayer life, your private devotion life is not where it needs to be. Here's the good news. Whatever condition your life is in, you just found something right now. You just discovered something that can dramatically change your life by next month. Your life can be completely different if this becomes a regular part of your life. And so we can look at it as, as good news. But personal devotion, personal prayer, this is, this is what we, um, this is one of the foundations that Jesus teaches us. If we're gonna build a house, if we're gonna build a kingdom life, this is what it must be built on. And our sand warning for this. Is something that remember I said these aren't necessarily bad things, but here's the sand warning that I felt compelled to share this this morning is community spirituality. Listen, community is important. Coming to church, life groups, spending time with, with with your friends, prayer groups, worship nights, all that stuff. Listen, I've, I've dedicated my—I've life, I've spent my life holding these things and trying to get people to go to them. Like I, it's—they are vital, but they are not a substitute for a personal, devotional, and prayer life. It's so important that we understand that they are—they are two different things. They're both vital. They're both important, but this is the one that is—that is so even more determinate than than this, than our community. Than coming together. Because listen, if, not, if we come together and none of us have a personal spiritual relationship, then our coming together is going to be kind of pointless as well. The reason why... Th- there's, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. But it's alright. The reason why some people like need to come to church is because they don't have the personal relationship And so when they're coming, they're just sucking everything up. They're not coming bringing anything. If the more collectively, the more our our personal relationships, the more our personal prayer lives, the more our personal study grows and develops and matures, the more our community, when we come together, develops and there's a, a deeper richness that happens and there's more availability of ministry. And God is freer to do what He wants to do in our midst. You know, this um, the Sermon on the Mount uh, has one of the what most people, a lot of people, would consider one of the scariest verses um, in in all of Scripture. Uh, I was just thinking about this this morning and I, I, I noticed something in it that I just wanted to throw this out there because it kind of fits with with, with what we're talking about. You remember this? You know this verse? verse tw- uh, seven, chap- Chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who calls out, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of My Father will. Will enter it. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles, but I will reply to you, I never knew you, get away from me, you who break God's laws. It's a scary verse, right? That's <laughs> the one you're like, ah, I never even cast out a demon. <laughs> But this is what struck me this morning. Check out the pronouns in this. See, grammar is good for something. Pay attention in school, kids. Um, <laughs> listen to the to the to their their defense of themselves on judgment day. Many will say, "Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons." And then what's God's reply? But I will reply. Depart. I will cry. Get away from me! I never knew you. See, we don't. We don't go to. We don't. There's no group entrance into the <laughs> into the kingdom of God. It is a one to one relationship that we are building. So we need to treat it that way. You need to have a relationship with God. We can't have a relationship with God for you. So personal prayer and devotion. That's that's our first one. Moving on. Second behavior we see over and over again in in this message is loving everyone. Loving everyone. We see this in... in, uh, In chapter 5, starting verse 43, Jesus says, you've heard uh, heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. Why? Because that's how he acts. See, the whole point of all of these behaviors is they are reflections of who he is. This is, the, this is the transformational part of, of becoming like Jesus his sermon when he's saying to do these things, it's not a you know do as I say, not as I do. He's just wanting you to look more like him. In Matthew 6, he says, "If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And in Matthew 7 he says the, the maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible, the golden rule do to others, whatever you would like them to do to you. What do we mean by loving everyone? We touched on this a few weeks ago when we looked at the parable of the the Good Samaritan. Treating and seeing everyone the way God does. Everyone. With kindness. Seeing their value and treating them according to the value they have within them, not the actions that they Put out. Forgiving everyone. All of their offenses. Loving everyone. Listen, this is, and again, we're talking, this is, and this is where we have to change, some of us have to change our thinking. This is not when I grow up and become a super Christian. We're talking about foundational. This is. This is the this is the the stuff. This is boot camp. This is like okay, you want to know what we do? This is this is this is chicken fingers for raising canes, right? This is what we do. <laughs> this is not the sad little slaw they put on there. This is the this is the thing. We are called to our foundation. Is built on loving everyone, and the sand to watch out for here is um, basically uh, living with the lovable. Living with the lovable—it's—it's it's a thing we do. I, I've come—I've coined a term. I don't know if this, uh, this is right or not, but I'm going to use it anyway. Relational gerrymandering. I have a picture. Did anybody, you know, what gerrymandering is. Um, there we go so gerrymandering is it's a political thing that they do where uh, they create lines for a voting public for a you know a voting district and they draw them in such a way that gives that party or whatever an advantage this is a real-time example of a voting district in the purple does that make any sense No, there's no logical way to do that. Why did they do it that way? Because they just included the people that they wanted to group together to make sure that they got the vote that they wanted. Right? We do this in our own lives. It's easy to feel like I'm a lovable person when I've created a life that is surrounded by lovable people. We gerrymander ourselves. There's there's people that we come in contact with and we learn that that loving that person is not easy. And so sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. We just conveniently they just stop. You know, it's like if your life was a sitcom, they just it's that neighbor that they tried to make funny that wasn't really funny, and then just all of a sudden the neighbor just never comes around anymore, right? That's, that's what we do in our lives. There are people that we, we, we lump them out. We cut them out. And we still love them. We just go way out of our way to never have to interact with them. Family members we do this with. Friends. Co-workers. But listen, that's not, that's not the kind of love that, that Jesus taught us. We don't, we don't get to do that. We are called to love everyone. And here's the good news though. Jesus always equips what He calls. If He calls us to love everyone by His Holy Spirit, He can empower us to love everyone. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be a doormat. That doesn't mean that everybody in the world has to be your closest, most intimate friend. Right? That's just not possible. And there is something to be said for setting healthy boundaries and not letting people just take over your life. but our foundation needs to be built on a predetermined activity that when I walk out the door in the morning, I already know how I'm going to treat every person I come in contact with, and that is the love of Jesus. Every time. So here's the the questions. Back to the questions. All the questions. Diagnostic question number one. Who have I loved this past week out of obedience to Christ? Who in your life have you loved, you've shown love to this week simply out of an obedient heart? Not because you got anything out of it. Not because you wanted to. And then here's the second question. Who can you love next week? You know, tomorrow's Monday. And y'all ain't going to be here. Who can you love then? You know, especially... Those, there are people that are, you know, we're talking about, you got to watch out for the sand. There are sandpaper people, right? That just rub you the wrong way. I understand that. Those people may just take some extra preparation to love. And so... Let's, that's what this moment can be. This moment can be a preparatory moment. I, I, I know I do not show this person the... Pro, I don't love them. I, don't, I just don't. And I need to. I know that. I need to show them Jesus' love. How do I, Let's ramp up. Let's take this moment. Let's take today. Let's think, okay, how do, I'm going to pre-plan my response. I'm going to pre-plan my actions. You know, it's easy to spontaneously love people who are lovely. Well, when that doesn't work, we gotta we gotta go to our fallback. It's like, okay, I'm just gonna I gotta plan this out. Who can you love next week? Because we are called as a foundational part of our life to love everybody. And then the third, the third foundational behavior we see in in these in these sermons is living generously. Living generously. Where do we see that? We see it in, in Matthew chapter five, he says Jesus says, If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give him your coat too. And if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it to two miles. Give to those who ask. He says in chapter six, When you give to someone in need, don't do like the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue. But notice he says, When you give to someone in need, not if. And then in chapter 7, Jesus describes God's generosity towards us as an example to follow. He says, you parents, if your child asks for a loaf of bread, do do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? We serve a generous God who gives lavishly. This example has taken on new meaning in the last number of years as I have children. And you just, if you're parents, you know that there's just this compulsion. Right? To want to give. <laughs> and somehow, it, they pull it out of you, even in your most frustrated situations, and you just they get, they, they're driving you nuts, and they, they're not doing what you ask, and they're not doing this, and they're not doing this, and they keep asking. They're the only people in the world that can get you so frustrated, you just love them more. Right? Anybody else treats me like my kids do sometimes... There is no way that my response is going to be, okay, fine, let's go get the happy meal. Right? This is the picture Jesus is painting of how God looks at us, and it's also the picture of how He wants us to look at each other, to live generously, looking for opportunities to give. Again, living generously isn't just about giving money, although that's, that's part of it. Your, your tithes and your offerings and, and being generous to, to people in, in need, whether it be family members or, or, or people you see in need when you're just out and about. But it's also about being generous with your time. Being willing to spend time with someone who needs your, your time, your attention. spending, being generous with, Being generous with your words. You know, we get to choose... Our words. And we can choose to be generous with them or stingy with them. We can withhold praise or we can lavish it. We can withhold criticism or we can be quick with it. So here's, the, here's our questions. In what ways have you committed your life to generosity? In this past week, when were you generous with your time, with, with your money, with your words? we will learn to to live generously with each other, it can it can revolutionize our community. It can change our city. It can change the world. And the sand to watch out for in, in this instance um is claiming poverty. See, you can only give generously if you believe you have abundantly, right? I can't. I'm never going to give generously if I feel like I don't have enough. And it's really easy to to get sucked into a a poverty mentality that I I don't have enough. And it's it's I'm telling you it. It's a it's a lie of the enemy that he loves to to, to trap us in and keep us small. Because, because we do have enough. We have a God that is generously lavishing on us. All right. We you have you have enough to be generous. Now, it may sometimes what we're doing is we're comparing to somebody else, right? We're looking at we're looking at what somebody else is able to do. Oh, they, you know, they that guy donated a wing to the church, you know. Which if there's someone out there looking to do that, I mean, hit me up. But we look at that and we go, gosh, I can I mean, I'll, I can't do that. And then so then we feel we feel small. But here's the reality. Did you go to Starbucks this week? Um we all can be generous with what it is that we have been given to steward whether it's our money or our time. I'm just so busy. I don't have time for 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 any of that. I can't. I can't. I really I just my dad has a saying and I think it's right. People do what they want. <laughs> right? It sounds simple, but it's 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 just it comes down to you do what you want to do. You can do anything that you want to do if it becomes a high enough priority. You have time for the things that you want. Truly want. Not everything you want. But we can can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our words. It may take some some personal... uh, going back to our foundation first foundation it may take some time alone with the lord to figure out why that's not happening so much and how i can what i need to do to change in me so that that's what comes out but we all have have have, have been called to be generous in our lifestyles and we claim and when we claim poverty when we, when that is the that is our defense for Seeing generosity as something that you can't do we've bought into a lie. we've bought into a lie. Listen, Jesus is asking us today to examine our foundations, our personal prayer and devotion, how we love the people around us, and living generously. How, how are your foundations this morning? like I said i don't have I don't have steps. I don't have there's that's that's the end. I don't have any more. <laughs> I don't have three steps to fix the foundation, right? It's not I don't have, you know, the spiritual basement doctor coming up to patch all our stuff. This morning and it's I know it's a little different, but we I I really want us to walk out Challenged and encouraged to examine, not just with some answers that we'll not actually use. <laughs> so the, the challenge this morning is, is, is one of, will you, will you answer these questions in your own time? Will you, What are you going to do about it? How are you going to implement change in your life? And if you're not sure, if you don't know what the next steps are, that's, that's where community comes in. Ask somebody. Email the church. Call me. We'll have some good conversation about it. Talk to your friend that, that, that you know loves Jesus. See what they think. Ask someone to pray with you to, to, to help show you if, you if you see there's an issue, but you're just not sure what the next step is. If we get our foundations right, then the houses we build will stand forever. So let's, let's focus on that this week. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank You for, for this moment. God, we thank You for meeting us. God, we've spent this time looking at the, the foundations that You have laid for us. God, first we just want to say thank You that those foundations have a foundation, that they are built on your unmerited favor and grace and wonderful gift of salvation. God, and we, we thank you that you don't just save us, but you empower us to, to build lives, to build lives that can withstand this crazy world. God, and so, Holy Spirit, we, we invite You into our lives to expose those foundations, to, to show us where we, where we maybe are building on clay, God, and, and reveal to us where we need to dig some more, and we thank You for the lives, we thank You for, for the, the opportunity to live these amazing lives in Christ, to live, live like You lived. You actually empower us to not just see what you did, but live the same way. And we thank you for that. I pray your your blessing and peace on us today as we, we go out into the world. Be with each and every one of us in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless. See you guys next week.